0: Things that die don't always stay dead. Usually they do, but today in this all-new episode, I have an example for you of something we lost 1,000 years ago that has recently re-emerged after a millennia to remind us that impossible is just a four-letter word. Technically, it's an 11-letter word, but you get it. With some patience, some ingenuity, and two scientists who decided to try something everyone told them was an insane waste of time, this nearly forgotten piece of history has been not just found, but brought back to life. And soon, you might be able to eat it. Originally, I was going to do one more rerun of From the Cache episode, which would have put this new episode into October. My favorite month, when I usually cover something with a spooky theme in honor of the best holiday, Halloween. But I managed to get this episode together earlier than I thought I would, so you're getting it in the slightly less spooky month of September. Ancient things coming back to life can seem spooky, but in this case, I'm choosing to highlight this particular bit of history because I think it's inspiring, and because this is the last new episode I'm going to be putting out for a while. This last year has been hard. Physically, I am exhausted, and that's taking a toll on me mentally, too. My brain is tired. And I'm in a spot where I can't put out new content as regularly as I want to or have in the past. But do not despair, my friends, for this is not the end of the History Cache podcast. But like the tenacious species we'll be discussing in just a couple minutes, it will be, let's say, hibernating for a while. I just don't have the time or the energy to keep up with my usual pace at the moment. This podcast has brought me a sense of meaning greater than any job I've ever had, and I can't imagine just walking away from it. But I do have to do what's best for me right now, which means putting a pause on any kind of regular content schedule. Future output will be more random, and it might be a bit until you get another new episode. And I hope you'll forgive me for needing to make this change. The only reason this podcast has kept its consistency for so long already has been because I genuinely love bringing you these stories, and I didn't want to let you down. I've published over four years of consistent new content, which has accumulated into I don't even know how many countless hours of research, writing, and editing. None of it would have meant much if it hadn't been for you. I'm grateful every day for my listeners, and I hope you'll continue to enjoy the four years of episodes that will still be available on all your major podcast listening platforms. I also hope you'll check in every once in a while when I do put out something new. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this all new episode and that the story of this unstoppable species will bring you some inspiration and remind you that even when things seem hopeless, all you need is some patience. And a tiny seed of hope to watch something grow again. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. On the edge of the Judean desert, situated high on a 1,300-foot plateau, there sits an ancient fortress. Above, its burnt orange walls cut into the deep blue of the desert sky. Below, stretched out for miles, is the Dead Sea. This fortress's isolation, harsh desert environment, and rugged terrain grant it a natural defensiveness. This made it an attractive spot to build a complex, and during his reign between 37 BCE and 4 CE, that's exactly what King Herod the Great did. There was a palace, courtyard, a terrace overlooking a breathtaking view of the fishless Dead Sea below. There were Roman bathhouses, plenty of rooms for food and weapon storage, and even a sophisticated water system that collected and channeled runoff into cisterns capable of holding 40,000 cubic meters of water, a lifeline for its inhabitants. This is Masada. And much of it still remains intact today, along with, according to UNESCO, the finest and most complete siege works from the ancient Roman world, preserved so well that they still survive to this day. Masada is a site of great archaeological and cultural significance. Trigger warning, the following account includes discussion of suicide. If that's something you feel you need to skip, this is the place to do it. Masada is where one of the last significant events of the First Jewish-Roman War, which occurred between 66 and 73 CE, took place. Masada was the last holdout for some 967 Jewish rebels who fled there to escape Roman forces after the Siege of Jerusalem during the First Jewish Revolt in 70 CE. The rebels managed to evade capture by the romans at masada for over two years then rome laid siege we have one written historic account of what happened next which was written by flavius josephus josephus was a leader in the jewish rebellion though a rather reluctant participant He was captured by the Romans in 67 CE, after a failed attempt to reinforce the Jewish resistance in Galilee. He became a prisoner of Rome, and possibly an interpreter. Two years later, in 69 CE, he was granted his freedom, and then completely defected to the Roman side even joining the emperor's son, the future emperor, Titus, during the siege of Jerusalem, when the city and the Second Temple were destroyed by Rome. There is a lot of debate surrounding his account of what happened at Masada, which, according to Josephus, was this. On April 15th, 73 CE, finding themselves hopelessly besieged by the Romans, The Jewish rebels inside the fortress of Masada decided to take their own lives rather than become prisoners who would have likely been enslaved by the Romans. Specifically, Josephus says each man killed his own wife and children, then drew lots with the other men to see who would put the rest of them to death. The last survivor then took his own life by running himself through with a sword. There are some who believe this account wholeheartedly, some who say the Romans slaughtered everyone, and some who say it was a mix of suicide and Roman violence. Others disagree anything happened there, even though there are clearly leftover Roman siege works, which remain, again according to UNESCO, virtually untouched. After the siege, Masada was abandoned. In the 5th century CE, a group of monks resided there for a time but they too eventually abandoned the fortress. Then, for 13 long, windswept centuries, Masada remained untouched until 1828, when it was rediscovered. It took over a century for archaeological excavation to begin, first in 1953, then again in the 1960s, 2,000 years after it had been besieged. Among the rubble and windswept walls, 2,000 years of history had begun to tell its story. There were frescoes, baths, and artifacts uncovered, including a jar. Unremarkable to behold, perhaps, but inside was something no one had expected to find. Seeds. They were from the Judean date palm tree, which had been extinct for around 1,000 years, The seeds were peculiar in shape and size, significantly longer and wider than modern-day date tree varieties. These seeds had been incredibly preserved by the desert's climate, and radiocarbon dating showed they had been stashed away at Masada sometime between 155 BCE and 64 CE, 1,000 years before the species had been wiped out. The Judean date palm had been a staple of both food and culture in the region for millennia before its extinction. It appeared on ancient coins and in religious texts. Its fruit was presented as gifts to emperors in Rome, and they were prized for their sweetness, which was said to be sweeter than other date palm varieties of its time. They were also highly valued for their medicinal properties. These dates were a real factor in economy and trade, and became a symbol for prosperity, beauty, and abundance. As for its extinction, most accounts I found state that human warfare, which was disastrous for palm plantations during the Crusades, was the main cause of the palm's eradication. These waves of invasion and intentional destruction put an end to the tree that had been an economic and cultural mainstay for the people of Judea and its surrounding regions. According to a paper by Dr. Sarah Salan et al. published in the journal Science Advances in 2020, these date palms were also closely connected to the history of human migrations in the region with the first cultivated varieties originating around Mesopotamia and the Upper Arabian Gulf over 6,000 years ago. The paper goes on to detail how these dates were described by classical writers, including Theophrastus, Herodotus, Galen, Strabo, Pliny the Elder, and Josephus. Historians wrote of their large size, nutritional and medicinal benefits, sweetness, and long storage life which enabled them to be more easily exported throughout the Roman Empire. So, they were a big deal, but no one was really sure what to do with the seeds found at Masada. So, nothing was done with them. They were stored away in an archive for another 40 years, until one scientist, Dr. Sarah Salon, had an idea. She wanted to bring the Judean date palm back to life from 2,000-year-old seeds. Her peers told her she was crazy. No way would this work. But Dr. Salon knew that other scientists had already been successful with germinating other ancient seeds, including a 1,000-year-old lotus, though the seeds from Masada were twice that age. Dr. Salon reached out to another scientist, Dr. Elaine Saloui, from the Center for Sustainable Agriculture at the Arava Institute for Environmental Studies. Turns out, she was okay with being called crazy too, and the two of them, one with a background in medicine, the other in agriculture, went to work together to prove the impossible wasn't so far-fetched after all. In 2005, they planted three of the seeds— they worked slowly carefully first the ancient seeds needed to be rehydrated they did this using a bottle warmer and a hormone-rich solution of enzymatic water and fertilizer then all that was left to do was plant the seeds in sterile potting soil and wait and wait and wait their patience and care paid off a few weeks later something incredible happened. One of the seeds sprouted. It was the oldest seed in the world to sprout successfully from germination. The young sapling that emerged from the 2,000-year-old seed of an extinct species was named Methuselah, not to be confused with the other tree named Methuselah, a bristlecone pine in California who was going on 5,000 years old. After caring for him for six years, Methuselah flowered in 2011. Then, the two scientists who had successfully carried out the inconceivable decided to try it again. According to an article from the New York Times, between 2011 and 2014, they planted 32 more seeds from a different cache of seeds that had been found in Qumran. Six of those sprouted, and two of them were female. They were named Hannah and Judith. Six years after Hannah was planted, she flowered. Her seed had come from an ancient burial cave near Jericho, and it dated back to between the first and fourth centuries BCE, making her seed just as old, if not older, than Methuselah's. Dr. Soloway carefully collected pollen from Methuselah and brushed it onto Hannah's flowers. In 2020, 15 years after Dr. Soloway and Salon set out to try and bring the Judean date back to life, they succeeded. It was the first time anyone had laid their eyes on this ancient fruit in 1,000 years. And it didn't take long for people to try them. Apparently, they are delicious and have been described as having a fibrous, chewy texture with a subtle sweetness that includes a honey-like aftertaste. Though some of them were eaten, most of the dates were kept for scientific research. Scientists want to understand their properties and discern if there's any medicinal value in the ancient fruit. They also wanted to know more about the origins of the Judean date palm, which they now know stemmed from other local or introduced eastern varieties, later crossed with western varieties. That makes sense given Judea's location along major trade routes between North Africa and Asia, home to eastern and western date palm diversification areas. The impact of human trade and migration routes at what Dr. Salon called this crossroad of continents definitely played a part in the original cultivation of the Judean date. Dr. Salon explains that their results reinforce the historical narrative that a highly sophisticated domestication culture existed in ancient Judea. Her findings suggest that Judean date culture was influenced by a variety of migratory economic and cultural exchanges that took place in the region stretching across several millennia. It was also discovered that the larger seed size of the Judean date palm had a correlation to the larger size of the dates produced. This corroborates the historical descriptions of the Judean date, which, if you remember, was said to be larger and sweeter than other date varieties. Research is ongoing, and hopefully we'll have more information on what exactly this ancient, historically beloved fruit has for us in the not too far away future. Dr. Salon says it's even possible the dates could be introduced into the world market one day. So keep an eye on your grocery store shelves. You might see a bag of dates there one day that made their way to you through 2,000 years of desert preservation, extinction, and the painstaking work of two not-so-mad scientists. Dr. Salon believes the resurrection of the date palm is some good news that we all needed she told the New York Times in 2020, quote, In these troubled times of climate change, pollution, and species dying out at alarming rates, to bring something back to life from dormancy is so symbolic. To pollinate and produce these incredible dates is like a beam of light in a dark time, unquote. And it is. It's so easy to feel inundated with stories of disaster and fall into a loop of doom-scrolling, Burnout feels like it's at an all-time high, and you probably wouldn't be surprised to wake up to yet another once-in-a-lifetime historical event flashing on your screen of choice. I think the Judean date palm has arrived right on time to give us all some of the inspiration we're craving. If all it takes for an entire species to make a 1,000-year-old comeback is one 2,000-year-old seed and a little patience, then there's hope for all of us. So, write that first sentence. Make that phone call. Send that email. Go for the thing you've been just a little too scared to go for. Whatever it looks like, plant your seed. Then, let it grow. Thank you so much for listening to the show today and for sharing your time with me. I hope you enjoyed it and that it brought you some inspiration. Again, this will be the last regularly scheduled episode for a while, but please check in again when you can because I'll have some new content for you when I am able. I read somewhere that the average podcast doesn't make it past 10 regularly scheduled episodes, so four years of constant content is pretty good, I think. I no longer have a Patreon since I don't feel comfortable taking money from listeners when I can't promise regularly scheduled content. I just don't think that would be fair. But I do still have a PayPal account you can access on the podcast's website if you want to help support the show at any point. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. I will still be regularly checking my email, which is historycashpodcast at gmail.com. Background music is licensed through Envato Elements. Stay safe, stay smart, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dearest friends, go make some history.